0: FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Welcome back to Castaway, FIS's Freight and Commodity Podcast. It is Wednesday the 18th of August and a very warm welcome to everyone who's listening in. And of course, we have Kerry, we have Theo, and we also have Alex Moore. Uh, with us. Uh, Those who listen to the Emissions Special uh, will be familiar with him, but he's back again to talk a little bit more about carbon later on. But we, of course, are going to go into the news, into those market settlements, into a bit more about what's been going on in the major markets that we cover, and then a little bit more on emissions. And specifically, kind of the majority of what we'll be talking about is the voluntary side rather than the compulsory. So we'll go into the differences between those and a little bit more what options are out there currently on the voluntary side. But let's see what's happened in the news this week. Uh, Afghanistan fell to the Taliban after a lightning assault which saw the country's government collapse days after the withdrawal of the US and Allied troops. Chinese government continued a new crackdown on tech competition rules. The rise of the Delta variant and floods in China has analysts worried about economic growth in the country. Japan nudged itself back into economic growth with a 0.3% expansion from Q1 to Q2. Ningbo Zusan port has been forced to partially shut down due to COVID, further exacerbating those problems that we've seen and bottlenecks in shipping, especially the containers. And BHP is to shift its main stock listing from London to Sydney. But what are we happening? What's been happening in the indexes (coughs) and the markets? This is Tuesday versus Tuesday, Tuesday 10th versus yesterday, Tuesday the 17th. Brent, a slight fall there, 69.73 from 70.83. The high sulfur fuel oils, the ROC 3.5% down 1.84%, 3.70.10. And the SING 3.80, 3.85.85 uh, down 2.2% on the SING. The 0.5s, 0.5s, the very low sulfur fuel oils. Uh, Rotterdam 4.79.35 down 2.1%. And the SING clinging on for dear life on the above the 500, 560 closing last night down 1.67%. And the high fives, uh, the rot high five has fallen 109 from 113, down 3.5%. And the sing high five is a non-mover at 115. Kerry, the freight indexes.
1: Cape size 5TC average is 4,1049. That is up 5,154 bucks or 14.4%. The Panamax 4TC average is 31.216. That's up 1,270 bucks or 4.2%.
0: On the tankers, a bit of movement to report. Uh TC2, 106.7767, 67 uh, down nine point four percent. TC5 up 25% 14107. Uh T D3C is still pedaling along down at the bottom low 30s, 30, 30 spot nine five, down point three percent, and the TD25 up four point three percent at 7042. And Alex, what about the EUA future?
2: Uh EUA is Closed at 57.41 on the 10th, falling 0.3% to 57.23
0: on the 17th. And Theo, what about the iron ore markets?
3: Uh, In the iron ore markets, the Platts 62% uh, index is at $159.50, down $6.70 week-on-week, which is 4.03%. The Fast Market 65% index is $188.70, which is down $6.40, which is 3.28% week-on-week. And the spread 65 62 is at $29.20, up $0.30, cents, which is up 1.04% week on week.
0: And as the main feature of, I guess, starting with the last few podcasts because of that incredible fall that we've seen in the iron ore markets, Theo, why don't we give a bit more uh, in-depth of what we've seen in the past week?
3: Yeah, it seems like we've uh, taken a breather now only just the last few days really from that uh, free fall of $20 plus $20 plus $20 week on week. So we are down a... Modest, I guess, six dollars uh, week on week. But uh, once again, I will will uh, indicate we'll go looking at at our steel mill indicator and our steel mill margins is probably the place where you can understand this fall. It's declined now. The steel mill margins from about 1400 RMB last week to now about 1200 RMB week on week, which is 200 200 RMB down. The lower mill margins show us that the leader in this trilogy. and I call it a trilogy because it's steel, iron ore, and coke, which makes up mill margin, has moved, but it's, it's rebar that's the one that's actually leading this time. This move is seen a steel correction, um, and that's not mm-hmm. iron, an iron ore correction. Iron ore is lower, but it is a little more resilient to fundamentals. So we suggested last week, if you're going to be bearish on any of the trilogy, it should be uh, steel, and that would be a better sell, and that's the one that's actually taken iron ore with it. Um, steel has fallen due to the COVID situation in China. And that's had a that, which has had a flowing effect on transportation. Steel producer also no hurry to uh, restock steel still making materials currently due to that uncertainty and still demand. But weather-wise, the rainy season's now ended, so the outlook has might become a little more clear in the coming weeks. So also that what's happened last week was the Reba active contract moved from the October twenty-one contract to the January twenty-two contract. And that's when the start the selling started. So the interesting thing is now. That we're trading the second half steel production cut story using a January 22 contract. So this, the iron ore markets have come off quite considerably, and now, are, are paltering, they dropping a little uh, day on day. But uh, I'd be little compla- wouldn't be complacent about that to say that this is going to continue this uh, this drop unless it actually is caused by a movement in steel again.
1: I mean, Theo, there's a couple of interesting points you mentioned there to me. Um, one of them is that um, because of the COVID situation in China, we have seen steel correcting downwards. This despite government announcements and indeed actions to uh, to reduce overall production. I mean, we did see July iron ore imports were down about 20% year on year, as I recall, um, into China. And, and in addition, we know Chinese pig iron production is falling. So, you know, it, it's striking to me that um, despite you know, real-time data suggesting that production is falling overall, um, that steel price is still correcting downwards. That can't be a very positive signal in the short term, though.
3: Right? No, it's not. It's not. But I, I think, I mean, it's not new news that uh, the government has come out with. I mean, it's all, this is all understand, understandable. I think this is more about, like I said, about the movement between the active contracts and the speculation in the marketplace and uh, moving more towards the fundamentals of the market and that's what's going to take it to its next uh next levels
1: it it will be interesting to see because again you know with that chinese emissions target that they've set um, for steel production not exceeding last year's total volume if they were to stick to that that would require a cut of something on, on the order of 60 million tons in the second half um and you know in the meantime you know that suggests to me that effectively the link between iron ore and steel prices might break at some point, you know, we, we need not follow those steel mill margins as closely as the as the main indicator of, um, of, of the price of iron ore moving forward, because, uh, of course, those margins could very well stay high. while you know, overall production is slowing due to government restrictions.
3: No, that, that is very possible. Uh, the steel mill margins are still considerably quite high. So if you take the emission story out of the equation, those those uh, levels are worth producing uh, against. question is, what's the demand?
1: Yeah, what's the demand and, and where will the government step in? You know, how, how strictly will they enforce this target of not exceeding last year's production?
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, if Chinese techs anything to take from this, then uh, if the Chinese government do decide to step in, <coughs> yeah. then they should be worried.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
0: We're talking about changes week on week, and that has caused considerable change in the freight markets, carrier. It has
1: indeed. What a difference a week makes. Um, you know, the subdued activity we saw early last week on the Capes gave way to a much busier market later in the week um, and a fast rising one as well. We had flagged up already in the last few weeks, I believe, you know, in every episode we mentioned the baluster list is looking increasingly tight. That certainly came into play. Um, especially when paired with a busy North Atlantic market last week. Um, Those two things combined to drive the indices up with a spectacular jump on C3 rates in particular that appears to be continuing with rumors of $33 per metric ton concluded on that Brazil-China route. That's about 50 cents above index, um, if true, yesterday. Uh, And, you know, although chartering uh, activity in the Atlantic has been a bit more subdued, it does feel like more cargo is building up i would say uh owners patience could be rewarded soon i suspect um the paper has also made strong gains particularly on that front end with the capes the september contact trading up at 46,250 this morning on fis live that's up uh nearly six thousand dollars on the last week this time while the q4 has been much more subdued it's worth noting uh value this morning 37.625 that's up about 2500 bucks on the week the Panamax, by contrast, has seen relatively steady gains throughout the week in both basins. Again, the Atlantic, the primary driver here. Uh, rates for TA rounds in front hall jumped in particular yesterday. Uh, paired with a strong cape in the supermarkets, this saw strong gains on the paper yesterday after a week of slow but steady gains. And this morning, we see the SEP contract trading 36750 That's up 4750 on a week ago. And the Q4 contract up at 33750 a jump of nearly $4,000 in the past week. I think that reflects the fact that the Panamax deferred contracts or slightly deferred contracts uh, in general doing a touch better than their CAPE equivalents. Um, And so that's worth watching, Uh, sort of slightly deferred contracts holding up a touch better on those Panamax ones.
0: And then talking of week on week and the oil and products, uh, not too much of a change that we've seen, a marginal drop down in terms of indexes on that, but it was very flat going into the end of, of last week, it seems that most people have actually decided to take little holiday they could. They may it may have been a staycation, but in terms of the market, they're not moving anywhere. But with crew crew prices, they were just hovering around that seventy one bucks level. Uh, with the rot high five three eighty, the sing high five uh, high sulfur fuel or sorry three nine five and the point five equivalents four ninety and five ten rot and sing equivalent uh, respectively just staying around those levels towards the end of of last week. But we did see coming into this new week uh, a drop down and with Brent dropping below that 70 bucks level and it has dragged fuel oil prices down with it, moving that down far in terms of the index is around 10 bucks. And again, this morning, it's opened up further down um, with 20, 30 cents down again on Brent. And that inch down has been, again, uh, Kerry touched on it, the Delta variant in China. The concern is China with a large oil-consuming nation, and the, the the problems of how you're going to be coming back with global economic resurgence uh, after the virus and the fact that OPEC are going, oh, we're going to be producing more. So all those factors are pu- kind of pushing into a sentiment where people are going, I'm not so sure about this anymore. If you look at the EIA, though, the figures for last week do seem to be a little bit more positive. Uh, crude was a draw of 04 million. Gasoline, 1.4 million. Distillates was a build of 1.8 million. But again, high refinery utilization, 91.8%. Again, if you look at the API which came out last night, which is predicting the kind of EIA figures for later today, crude minus 1.1. 1. 1. <laughs> Cushing on the West Coast storage minus 1.7. Gasoline minus 1.1. 1. 1. So a similar picture again. So it seems that the US and oil demand seems to be pretty healthy if these come in later on today as what the EIA report. So fairly okay in the U.S. picture, but generally a little bit looking yeah. a bit more soft. That,
1: that's interesting to note that the U.S. is holding up on consumption um, because let's not forget it's getting hit every bit as hard as, uh, as China is, if not far worse, by the, uh, by the Delta variant right now. Hmm. Um, but yeah, very interesting.
0: Uh, the EIA, uh, sorry, the other one, they always get these confused, the EIA and the IEA. Uh, the IEA um, has sharply lowered its oil forecast for the rest of the year after several major energy-consuming countries imposed fresh curbs to stop the Delta variant. So this seems to be something where is definitely concerning them and their longer-term uh, predictions yeah. of where this is going to go. They have said that growth would only be 500,000 barrels per day lower in the second half of 2021 compared to its last estimate because of this worsening pandemic with this new variant. And they see that kind of global oil demand rising 5.3 million barrels today on average to 96.2 million barrels a day in 2021 and a further 3.2 million barrels per day in 2022 and before the pandemic began it was almost 100 million barrels per day so you can see that kind of has dropped off on those pre-pandemic levels we're going to see a recovery in the end of 2021 to 96.2 and then again we're not quite at pre-pandemic levels it believes with its predictions Um, of that 100 million barrels per day but we're we're closing in on those levels again the EIA has its weekly report as well and this was released on late August 11th and showed that the total US crude commercial stocks declining by 450,000 barrels a week to 438.78 million barrels and the draw was reported the EIA came in short of the 600,000 barrel what was expected so it may indicate here that the api have predicted a much bigger draw that this is slowing down and that as you say Kerry, this is something which is hitting the u.s as well mm-hmm. that we could start to see and uh, be interesting to see next week what the api api predicts yeah. for things whether this is going to push into builds again as things start to slow down exactly again. but the uh the US, again, we talked about OPEC plus and their agreement to start increasing production. We had those surprises for <coughs> the countries like Kuwait, who've increased their, their base level of production. But again, we, we also need to remember that the, the countries, large oil producing countries, which aren't in OPEC plus, one of those, of course, being the US. And if it is predicted and forecast, and if those are correct, that shale oil production is expected to rise to 8.1 million barrels per day in September And that's the highest level we would have seen since April 2020, as according to the the government's own uh, own regulator there and from Reuters news as well. So they've got multiple things coming in. The U.S. Mm is going to be increasing. OPEC have already agreed there's the problems of this Delta variant coming. So you could be seeing now uh, a drop down in oil prices before we see a resurgence back to to more normal levels again on those things. But looking at the physical side uh, on the fuel oil, we have seen a kind of mixed picture of what's happening uh, on the on the physical fuel oil prices with Brent dropping, moving about, all these concerns which are going on. Uh, VLSFO stems require about nine days of lead time now in bunkering hubs, while the HSF, high uh, H- sulfur fuel oil, is only seven to eight days compared to that Where this is in Singapore. Uh, but readily available marine gas oil in Singapore, though. So very good in terms of supply there. On the 380, uh, continues to be tight in the Arab Gulf and Fajara as well as lead time stretching to nine days, while the low sulfur fuel oil and the marine gas oil are kind of less tight in that region. It does seem to be a problem of prices if you're a producer in Gibraltar, where prices have seen quite a significant drop uh, in the start of this week, with the, the stems pricing 150 to 500 metric tons in the port, significant drops down of what's been been seen in there. But the availability of fuels are very good in the straits, uh, so that's probably not helping support prices <laughs> on things, but a kind of a definitely a cooling of of uh, sentiment <laughs> in the oil markets going into this, but I would not be surprised if we see these below seventy levels for a significant while yeah. while things start to sort out with a delta variant, which is obviously pouring ice cold water onto anything that's uh positive in those markets at the moment but of course let's move on to what we have had for our main feature of what we wanted to discuss at the end of this and that is of course carbon markets we have had several podcasts about shipping emissions we talked about uh, carbon trading but this is a fast changing and emerging market which is going to be you know a kind of i guess make or break for those who are looking at the ability for the world to kind of divest itself away from carbon intensive industries and we of course have our two experts here on it, we have Theo, we have Alex, who are going to go through, I guess, mainly what's been going on on the voluntary side, yeah. but if someone wants to look at something a bit more in-depth, then do listen to episode 61 on the emissions special if you want to have a bit more in-depth on what's happening on the, the compulsory EUA. Definitely, uh, there's definitely some definitely. more there for you. But
1: we haven't really talked that much about the voluntary carbon market on this podcast yet, and that's the one attracting all the attention in the last few weeks, so... um so, uh, Theo and Alex, do you want to walk us through the differences between the voluntary carbon market, perhaps for those listeners who, uh, who may not be familiar, and and that you know as compared to the EUAs, the European Union Allowances?
3: Yeah, I could help you out there. I mean, first of all, I've got to make a distinction that the EUAs and the voluntary carbon market are not interchangeable. The voluntary carbon market, that recognises the importance of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And the voluntary carbon market can help companies manage their carbon footprint in order for the company to meet its future carbon targets. The EUAs, on the other hand, are regulatory, it's a regulatory scheme at the EU that measures and limits, or what they call caps, carbon emissions from particular sectors in the economy. So companies will find that... Even if they are entering, for example, shipping companies entering the EUA market next year, they'll probably be already entering the voluntary carbon market at the same point or already there now. I mean, governments and companies, and they've been making headlines in the last week or so, especially, throughout the world now seeing their carbon neutral targets for 2020, 2030, 2040 or 2050. So, understanding how they can achieve these, understanding what they can do themselves to reduce their footprint, and furthermore, what avenues to market and alternatives they have in the marketplace should they, when they will re- require to satisfy if they have, for example, a shortfall. I mean, the exchange based solutions are products such as the NGO, the nature based solution, and the GEO contract on CME, but they're also, if you're looking at projects, for example, they, companies can also, that they talk about even in the press about investing in types of projects, but that layer adds another level of complication into the equation when, for companies because they will have to need to understand the type of project, the location of the project, the vintage of the project, the grading of the project. So that is a very, very complex area. The exchange, what that does is that brings all that together at the forefront with a with transparent pricing and that's the advantage of the exchange-based products. So when you look at the two products that CME has, they have the NGO, which is the nature-based contract, and that seems a much better carbon abatement scheme because the NGO is a contract that's more aligned to Corsia and the the aviation industry, which in the post-pandemic world will create significant increases in its own right, I believe. When I look at at the NGO contract uh, since its launch on the 1st of August, It traded 200,000 tons, which is 200 lots, at $5.40. That was two weeks ago, and now today is trading at $7.45, which is up, what, 30%. Open interest is now at 3,000 lots uh, for December 21, which is 3 million tons. And Cal 22 has 2,500 lots, which is 2.5 million tons. And Cal 22 is now trading at a slight premium for Cal 21, which implies the contango market that also lines up with the EUAs. So although they're not the same product, for a number of reasons, regulatory versus non-regulatory, they still are moving in the same direction. So it poses the question that for companies that are going to be entering into the EUA market for a regulatory reason, should they also be looking at the voluntary market as a quasi-hedge, or mind the pun, dirty hedge in their, uh, in their future endeavours, and also when those voluntary uh when those uh government and company compliance uh figures come out they will already have to enter into that market as well so this market is going to take pick up pace most definitely
1: yeah yeah I mean you did touch on the launch of the NGO contract which has obviously been attracting headlines for the last couple of months um in particular with the rapidly rising volumes I mean Alex do you want to just Briefly touch on to clarify for everyone who's listening the the specific differences between the NGO and the geo contracts on CME.
2: Yeah, I mean Theo mentioned earlier, yeah. and, and there was a, a briefing that came out by CME that clients are basically more interested in projects that, ro- that derive from nature-based sources. Yeah. That's basically the essence of why they brought out the NGO. Yeah. There was it, it was popular <laughs> with the geocontract, but there was definitely a, a demand, demand for, for, yeah, exactly yeah. for nature-based projects. So they brought out the NGO. Um, which went live, I believe, in August, uh, well, this month, a few weeks ago. So that, that was the main reason. In, in the, but also, touching on um, what Thea said earlier about uh, the shipping side of it becoming compulsory in 2023, adding on to that, it's just if you involve yourself in the voluntary carbon market now, it's about preparing yourself and understanding a market with about two years, three years potentially worth of, of knowledge before it becomes compulsory. I speak of the time with ship owners who are interested in the market, it's, it's not compulsory yet, it will become compulsory in a couple of years' time, but there's plenty of questions out there that people want, want to understand this market, but they don't fully got, got a full grasp on it. So getting involved in it now could give you that backing and understanding before you have to do it in two years' time anyway.
0: What's the kind of most common questions <coughs> you're getting from these people?
2: Why do voluntary carbon offsets cost different prices for different projects? That's always the always, <laughs> always the question. And Theo touched on it earlier, it comes back to quality standard. Where does the project derive from? Uh, what is the project? Is it a, a hydro project, say in India? Is it a, a, a solar company in China? Depending on the type of project, the quality of the project, these these qualities are verified by panels like Corsia, which uh, Theo mentioned earlier. So, there is method behind the madness, um, but there's definitely more that we can talk about. Which, obviously, if you ever want to have a conversation, do feel free to call me. But uh, this podcast is only 45
3: minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, also adding to that, the one thing about these uh, two contracts that is uh, specific on the uh, CME is the NGO contract, the nature based contract, uh, allows you physical delivery for only one registry, which is Vera. Where the geo contract allows you from three other sources of <laughs> registry. Now the important thing about Vera is, is that's that's the main game. Like if you go onto that website, you'll see you listed the thousands of, of projects that are out there that are all nature based, and that's and for the, for you to enter that OTC market. To go through and try to understand all those projects is going to be virtually impossible so the ngo project um exchange is a valuable tool because that actually gives you that price transparency to pretty much enter uh, be hedging or using that required that uh, that contract and invertibly uh hedging with using a vera registered uh project so it makes yeah sense. And, and,
1: and to be crystal clear theo just for our listeners i mean the vera Registry includes projects around the world, right? So again, this is not regionally restricted the way EUAs are, for example, the California offset market. This is a contract that can be used by anyone, anywhere really, uh, the voluntary contracts, right?
3: Exactly, correct. That's absolutely right.
0: And this is something which is not going away. With the Paris Agreement's goal of keeping warming under one and a half degrees above pre-industrial levels, this is something which governments, which the public, which interest groups are more and more going to be impressing on polluting industries to sort this out. Yeah. So in, in, in effect, this is only going to get more expensive. This is only yeah. going to get more um, compliance around it. So actually getting in now where <laughs> it's easier in the voluntary, perhaps, and where the prices haven't skyrocketed because everyone's ploughed in, could yeah. be definitely to an advantage of companies, right?
2: Well, coming back to that, I mean, there is a finite number of voluntary offsets. There's only so many green projects that are putting out these carbon credits. So if you look at the global inventory of carbon credits, they are actually going down. Um, so if anything, it just shows how many companies getting involved. And me and Theo yeah. were talking about it earlier. You aren't going to be able to escape it as a company. Companies are going to commit to this. More companies are going to commit to zero carbon uh, targets, uh, whether that's 2030, 2040. But one of the best ways to tackle it is to to buy voluntary carbon offsets.
1: Yeah, and and who are the natural sellers of the voluntary carbon offsets um, in this market?
2: Yeah, just green projects. Yeah,
1: um, if, all uh, the green projects themselves, and then presumably people who have no no more need as as their own requirements change. Um, yeah. find find themselves with a surfeit of uh, uh, of offsets uh, and can can afford to sell a few.
2: Absolutely, and yeah. that, that's why I come back to the uh, NGO with the nature based projects. Those are the ones that are putting out these carbon credits. It,
3: there's, an, there's the most interesting project is this rim raya project which uh, is expected to be 70, 70 million credits over the next next 20 years and the, the interesting thing is in the first four years that amounted mm-hmm. to just under a carbon stream of um, one million credits per annum and they were pre-signed by a group in the us at eight dollars fifty so you can see wow. from there how how big this and um, how much potential this market has
1: Wow.
3: So they were just hooted, basically.
1: Yeah.
0: And you can also see the increase in price looking at the official market, the mandatory market in the European Union, which was pre-$30, I think, before we came into 2022 and is now pushing 60, yeah. almost doubling yeah. over that period of this is becoming increasingly uh, a problem and increasingly part of government yeah. kind of policy yeah. to, to do this. And especially... We've got, or they've got a German election fairly soon as well. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with <clears throat> exactly the German Greens, whether they're a major part of the government or you know, ruling themselves in that, because they are very keen to start pushing up this price. Well, And,
1: and, and, and natural events themselves have uh, this year have, uh, have certainly attracted a lot of attention. In a year where we've seen hell and high water uh, in various parts of the world, uh, then, uh, then it, it, I, I suspect a lot of people are paying a lot more attention to this than they were even 12 months ago.
2: I mean, we get yet to break that. Fifty-eight euro mark, I mean the other day we got really, really close. We got fifty-eight point two four euros. Yeah, um, the highest we've seen is fifty-eight point three five. And it took a bit of a dip uh, a couple of weeks ago, and dropped about forty-nine uh, euros. And then uh, yeah, it's back up again. So uh, the, the the trend is is, is bullish, um, despite a little bit of regression.
0: So for all these companies, it could be those who are already within the European Union, be those steel mills or potentially ship owners operators for january 2023 when the regulations will apply to them it could be other companies around the world who will be using this just for the goodness of the heart that they care about the future of society (laughs) and that they want to go green you could even be a ship operator owner right now using a voluntary to go well i've offset my ship and could hire out their vessel as a green Vessel as well.
1: Well, exactly, and and one good thing about these registries and and the contracts based on such registries, um, you know, on CME, especially to me, is that it uh, it, it locks you into a verifiable. Uh, projects, you yeah. know, so it, it really helps to avoid, I think, uh, greenwashing, mm. you know, by by companies. Uh, That's who, the idea behind a lot to, uh, of my conversations to just try visit, and show their credentials really by invested in projects. If you want I'm to show you are conscious about, about your um, carbon output and uh, simply so make claims about to it to instead, to these are aware, aware of it, then yeah, buy carbon credits,
2: offset your emissions. I think it's an issue of how this market, because for a while now, is that yes, it's unregulated, Um, which I mean, you only got to Google carbon credits, and there are a few interesting stories about a few scandals out there. But then that's why we're here to, to cut through the noise, bring a bit of understanding uh, to this pretty confusing market, uh, I'll be
3: honest with you. I mean, looking, looking forward to I it, mean, how voluntary, I would even question predominantly, potentially in the future, how voluntary will these voluntary markets be when you're looking at corporates f- uh, financing through institutions? And that's something you consider yeah. that? Oh, exactly.
1: You know, I, I think, you know, we're already seeing people Occasionally attached conditions esg conditions to to financing and uh, and that seems only likely to grow yeah. much so um you know yeah, I think another one I had was similar to that
2: it's the the end user that's dictating this I had a, a few owners call me and said look I'm, I'm interested in this market, uh, partly not because i'm I want to get involved, but my end user wants a green voyage wants to show that the owners that I'm using are conscious of their carbon output, and it's the end user that's uh uh dictating this um. So yeah, we'll see. And I reckon that with more end users being conscious of this, that there'll be a growth in this market.
1: Absolutely.
0: So if you want some more information on this, of course, please contact Alex or Theo. That's Alex M and Theo G at FreightInvestor.com. I will put all the links of our wonderfully prepared notes you can hear right there (laughs) um, (laughs) underneath the podcast episode on our website. So if you'd like to see a bit more about these registries, they're online. Uh, explainers, as, as well as the kind of CME contracts that we outlined, then I'll put that up below there so you can follow through to do a little bit more reading before coming back with uh, some more questions. But of course, thank you to Alex and thank you to Theo for sharing it on these voluntary carbon credits. And I hope that this is a market that will more and more of our clients will get involved in the earlier and hopefully that will mm-hmm. make it the better for them. Uh, and of course, to Kerry for sharing his thoughts on the freight and everything else. Uh, to all our listeners, please do get in contact if there's any other questions on this carbon market. I know. Yeah, it's a...
1: please do contact Alex, contact Theo, or feel free to contact myself at Business Development. So all of us are happy to chat
0: on it. This is a fast moving new market and the, the quicker you can get the understanding, the quicker you can get an understanding of exactly. your carbon output as a company, the better you're able to cover it and the more prepared you are for government legislation which will come like a head you know, sledgehammer into everything going, You now have to do it. <laughs> yeah, so get ahead of the curve. Yeah. Cool. Oh, well, do listen again next week and thank you again to our guests. Thanks, thank guys. you.